$10 million. By the time the final hammer dropped in November's 233 auction, the yearly total produced by Hake's Auctions set a new house record for the company. Auction 233 brought in $3.3 million alone. And that was due to an offering of some of the rarest and most desirable pieces across many of the Americana categories. Captain America's hero shield prop from Avengers Endgame led the way, pulling in more than $259,000. A bandana featuring a portrait of Abraham Lincoln sold for $35,000, almost twice the upper range of its estimate. A 1999 Pokemon-based set proof sheet reached $45,000, the same price as a 1931 Mickey Mouse comic strip, one of the earliest strips bearing the image of the iconic Disney character. The first Fantastic Four comic and the first Iron Man appearance each sold in the mid-$30,000 range, and comics like An Amazing Fantasy XV and X-Men No. 1 hit realized prices in the upper 20s. But one of the big stories to come out of the November 3rd auction was the demand for vintage Star Wars pieces. Without a spotlight-grabbing, six-figure anchor like a rocket-firing Boba Fett prototype in the auction, the Star Wars segment still stood strong, pulling in prices that caught the attention of collectors worldwide. And throughout the years, as the prices on Star Wars collectibles climbed, collectors and speculators wondered if values were reaching their peaks. After all, for a toy line produced more than 40 years ago, could these prices really go any higher? Hake's 233 auction answered that question with a resounding yes. A sealed Millennium Falcon and a carded double-telescoping skew-footer Luke Skywalker each sold for more than $42,000. An unpainted gaff prototype from the droid's animated series hit $13,000. A high-grade 12-back Luke carded figure sold for $14,000. And an incredibly rare action figure display stand prototype from The Empire Strikes Back crossed the $15,000 mark by the auction's end. And it wasn't just the larger or rarer Star Wars items. A loose blue snaggletooth sold for almost $4,000. A carded Power of the Force Imperial Gunner sold for $3,400 and a 12-back carded sand person shocked collectors with a final price of $7,800. Out of the top 100 highest-selling items in the auction's entire catalog, one quarter of them were Star Wars collectibles. These pieces, prototypes, proof cards, and production examples that we love were suddenly more sought after than ever before, commanding prices we never expected to see in our lifetimes. And at the end of the year, Hakes teased its next big auction catalog. And from the early reveals, it looked as though the company may have another record-breaking Star Wars auction on its hands this year. And when the catalog finally reached the homes of collectors across the globe, it was a compilation of vintage Star Wars pieces rarely compiled by an auction house, with the breadth and depth collectors live for. A 300-item lot covering a vast majority of the Star Wars items from the line's inception in 1977 to the end of the vintage era in 1985. Star Wars, Empire, Jedi, Power of the Force, Droids, and Ewoks are all featured here. 
This is part one of an in-depth look at the Star Wars collectibles offering from the latest Hakes catalog. This is a conversation with fellow collector Matt George about the history of and stories behind these fascinating pieces. This is an exploration of Hakes Auction 234 and the insanity and excitement that comes with collecting vintage Star Wars memorabilia. This is a really deep catalog. Really deep. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. November, Matt George and I did three episodes around the Hakes 233 auction. Two pre-auction episodes discussing the items in the catalog, followed by a post-auction one in which we discussed the realized prices and our reactions to some of the estimate exceeders and the results that surprised us. We decided to do these episodes because we're collectors. Neither of us have any ties to Hakes, and we didn't have any pieces in the auction. But as longtime Star Wars collectors, exploring a Hakes auction is like going to a mega concert where many of the big names are showing up. Honestly, for two friends who have traveled to conventions and meetups together, doing these episodes gave us the opportunity to talk about Star Wars items at length. Really, it gave us the excuse to talk about the hobby we love. And we wanted to include you because we know what Star Wars means to us and what it means to you. We grew up with these pieces of plastic and cardboard, and they had profound effects on our lives. They were items we played with, often in the company of friends. And today, they're responsible for many of the friendships we've developed over a shared love of the hobby. After doing the Hakes episodes with Matt, I heard from a number of collectors who enjoyed these episodes. For many, Hakes is that rare opportunity to finally obtain a long-sought item. Something to finish a run, or the next piece of a collecting puzzle, or the opportunity to start a new focus. The auctions also bring in another client base to collecting, some who connect to the Kenner line and aren't a part of the collecting community, some who collect other areas of Americana and have decided to expand into vintage Star Wars figures as well. And lately, those who are looking to invest in a hot property or want to diversify their portfolios. Regardless of where you're coming from, as you join Matt and me for a series of collecting conversations, remember this. It's fun to talk about rising values and rare prototypes, but never lose sight of what Star Wars means to you, what it means to all of us. Matt and I had planned to do an episode or two leading up to Auction 234. 
However, by the time we trek through the first two dozen items, we realize that we'd be better off expanding that number to cover each of the four main lines, as well as the items around and after them. There's honestly just too much to cover in an episode or two, and we wanted to highlight the most interesting pieces and really share some of the compelling stories and insight that collectors pick up along their collecting journeys. So pour yourself a drink, sit in your coziest chair, and join us for a look at Hake's Auction 234. The auction ends on Wednesday, March 16th, so make sure you get your bids in before then. Okay, I'm going to go get Matt, and we'll all open the catalog together. Hello again, Matt George. Nice to uh, to get back together with you again to look at another Hakes auction. SDQ. I don't know what it is about Hakes, but they have a propensity for timing their March auctions with ma- major geopolitical and world changing events. <laughs> yes, yes. Hopefully, uh, this is this one will be a little a little better than uh, the the, the twenty twenty. But yeah, um, certainly an interesting time to uh, to be living in and. Uh, we are fortunately blessed with another wonderful auction. Uh, we're looking at something like 300 pieces of just Star Wars items alone. And um, I, I know I know, I was really excited about it, and I, I know you were really excited about it. You know, we were kind of seeing sneak peeks of what was to come. But um, before we even saw the sneak peeks, what, what was your thought about this, this year's auction uh, after coming off of last year's? I think that... I mean, you're kind of seeing it here with the the sheer number of figures in here. I think that um, people saw how much some of these items were going for in the last auction, these common uh, production-type items, and wanted to capitalize on it. It looks like maybe last time um, there was, I don't want to say a single owner, but uh, there was maybe one of every character, and every now and then it might have been you know, two or three. But here, this looks like pretty consistently... Uh, we're seeing multiples of the same character. So um, I don't know if it's uh, maybe more people wanting to capitalize on kind of where the market is right now. Um, but that definitely this one has a lot more um, opportunities to get characters you might be looking for uh, in case, you know, you, you missed out on the one that might have been available last time. Do you think we're seeing more and more investors and speculators coming in now um because the the last hicks auction was um was pretty impressive from a dollar standpoint from a value standpoint even on items that you know normally wouldn't bring in crazy numbers we saw um a loose blue snaggletooth graded at an 85 i think sell for somewhere around four thousand dollars almost four thousand i think you definitely are seeing that because if i'm not mistaken the the $42,000 Falcon was almost immediately put onto Rally Road at at a, at a $50,000 offering, I believe. So if that's the case, then you're definitely seeing the investment community get involved. Um, it, it just doesn't make sense to have a $7,800 12A sand people sell in an open auction like this if there wasn't some kind of outside money coming into it. Because we just have never seen 
things like that. To your point, the blue snaggletooth that went for almost four thousand. Um, there's just a lot of records set on items that people that have been collecting for a while would consider to be not rare. Well, you mentioned Rally Road before, um, so that Rally Road is essentially. Um, a way for people to invest in bigger ticketed items without actually owning them, but owning a percentage of them, right? Right. You might have heard the term uh, fractional ownership. Um, if you don't know what that is, there's, that's starting to come up and surface more and more in the hobby these days. But that's what that is, is you don't have the money to go out and, and buy a 52 tops mantle card, but you and a thousand of your buddies could each put in you know, I don't know what it is, 3000 bucks now and, and go out and get one. So you can at least have some kind of a, a stake in ownership of a card or a, a piece, a toy in this instance that you would otherwise be completely unattainable for you. So um, I think that that's becoming a larger and larger part of the mix here. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily a good thing for true collectors because it's just, it's going to make that barrier of entry, especially for new people trying to get into the hobby that much harder. Um, but then, you know, at the same time, when you look at other similar hobbies to ours, the, the prices are so much higher that that I guess in a way we've got a luxury to be in kind of a, a hobby that's maybe on the lower end of the spectrum in terms of prices. So um, it's definitely an interesting time for the hobby. Probably, um, you know, if we were to fast forward five or 10 years from now, I think it's it's going to look a lot different because of that investment community getting involved. This is, and my, I don't know, maybe this is a turning point for the hobby. I think so. And, you know, I know people have been complaining about uh, the prices for a long time, uh, you know, being very expensive for Star Wars stuff. But I, I feel like, you know, for as old as these pieces are and as emotionally connected as people are to them, I think the prices have been tamped down for a little while, you know, where people really weren't weren't looking at them or equating them with items like, um, you know, uh, sports cards or or even like the higher end comic books. And I think now that you know we're more than forty years into the Star Wars franchise, it's we're really reaching a point where people are saying, "Well, wait a second, like these are actual uh, historic and historical pieces," and you know we're starting to see a lot of that. The high grade stuff, the prototypes, um, really start to reach new levels that we've just. I mean, honestly, I I never imagined seeing something like even a, a sealed Millennium Falcon selling for forty two thousand dollars and then being put up on Rally Road. I think it was like either the same week or you know um, a little while later. And I think what the value is at like fifty thousand now. Yeah, I think that's what the uh, the initial offering was for fifty thousand and. I'm not 100% sure, but I seem to recall that they had sold out of the shares pretty quickly. They did, um, yes. And so w- whenever I saw that, I, I went in and clicked a little bit further and and saw that there was a, I believe it was an AFA 80 Vinyl Cape Jawa on card that was something like 24000 for the initial offering. And it, that's completely... Outside, that's like what an 85, like a high-end 85 might go for. Um, so, again, it just, I guess, depends on what lens you look through. But in my opinion, the for the the true collector that's been in a while, it's good that their collections might be appreciating in value. But at the same time, it's going to become harder and harder to get pieces. Yes, and I also think that there is sort of a 
when you look at our hobby, there's there's sort of two different areas. You have the hardcore and maybe you know community collected uh, connected collectors, and then you have people who are investing, um, who are maybe coming in from another area of collectibles and, and want to diversify, you know, diversify their portfolio and and you know pick up some Star Wars pieces that maybe they had as a child. But um, the the price differences is are there as well where you can get pieces on the groups and through the community for what I think in a lot of ways are, are much, um, much closer to the realistic or to the, the, the true market value of prices than sometimes that we see, you know, at these, like at these big name, uh, auctions or, or these, um, these, you know, spotlight pieces that hit, uh, some pretty high, high dollar values. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think this is going to be, um, I think this this will continue kind of the trends that we've been seeing and in I don't know what if any uh effects that the events in Europe are going to have on this auction I doubt it would be too much if any um it didn't really have an effect on the stock market that that same day so um yeah I think we can look for uh, you know a lot of the same trends to continue here with this auction um the we might not see the same level of some of the pieces uh, like the the sand people and, and things like that just because there might be more offerings of a, of a particular character in this one but uh, general trends i think we'll kind of see an extension of what happened last time i really have a feeling that this is going to be a record-breaking uh star wars segment of the auction yeah um the the overall uh hakes auction for this one is incredibly impressive uh, again, we have 300 pieces of it. I was shocked to see that there weren't any modern pieces, uh, meaning anything after 1985 or 1986. Um, last time we had one big one. We had the, uh, the Katana, which is the vintage collection Jabba's sail barge. That's become uh, one of the most desirable pieces uh, for the Hasbro line. Um, but you know, for right now, um, Hakes is really diving into these these carded figures um a lot of you know uh, prototypes and 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 pieces that are you know headline grabbing uh really rare items as well too and i think they've uh, curated a a very impressive collection for this round yeah agreed i'm looking forward to kind of diving in here and and uh, right. taking a look at these items let's do it so the, the first one we have here is um arguably the biggest <laughs> Most likely the, the biggest one of, of the uh, entire auction. Um, it is estimated to bring in somewhere between $100,000 to $200,000. It's number 1604, which is the, the first entry for the Star Wars figures. And it is uh, the rocket-firing Boba Fett prototype. It's a uh, J-slot version 2 figure. Um, it's graded at an AFA 50, which is very good. That's that's the designation for it, and um, and it's cased and graded by AFA in their their new laser uh, cut case. All right, so this item, uh, the J slot here, near and dear to my heart. Kind of bittersweet to see this. I I actually wound up turning this item up uh, from the neighbor of a former Kenner employee who did all the testing on on the J slots. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of lore out there about how you know kids got rocket firing Boba Fett's for Halloween and 
that story is absolutely 100% true. The the guy that worked in the the testing department's name was Phil Hamilton, and he absolutely wound up giving some to kids for Halloween. Uh, but he also gave two of them to his neighbor, and the neighbor is who I wound up buying these from, or buying this one. He got two of them. I got one. One was in this condition, 50. The other one was, you know, the, the tab was intact, and it's a really nice example. I uh, would probably grade 80, 85, but he's keeping it in the family, and uh, I was fortunate enough to get this one piece. But kind of the, the a benefit of getting that from the original owner was he got a COA from Phil. Um, so I will read the COA because I think it provides a really good backstory to this piece and what exactly this piece is. Because I don't think people see it as an engineering pilot. It's to them, it's a you know a J slot, but it's actually this piece was used during testing, and this is this piece was one of the reasons why it got ultimately scrapped because it kept failing these tests. So anyway, um, here's the COA. I'll read it verbatim. Um, so keep in mind he this is he's writing the COA to the neighbor uh, for the two pieces that he got. I started with Kenner in 1974 and worked from them until 1987 in various capacities, except for the short time. Uh, the short stint I spent with uh, NDM, another firm, which was about nine months or less. But this was well after the time of the first movie. At that time of the first Star Wars movie, I was working as a product reliability technician. I was personally responsible for all of the reliability testing performed on Boba Fett. The dolls, eh, hate that term, the dolls in question, which I gave to you, were from the one and only pre-production run that was ever made on the version with the working rocket pack. They were not prototypes made from prototype tooling. They were officially called engineering pilot samples. They were produced from production tooling, and the next phase would have been full production in printed blister cards. These were produced in Hong Kong, and less than 100 working units were shipped to the Sensi testing lab. I received all of them. I was the assigned technician to this project. Many were used in destructive testing. The remaining samples were the sole property of the reliability lab within the product integrity department. Basically, when I finished the testing and wrote up the report, I was free to do with the remaining samples as I wished. Thus, that is how you ended up with two of them. The rest I gave away to other people, and I have no idea who. You were the first to speak up and say that you had two of them. All said and done, when I gave you two of them, there were probably less than 20 that existed at that time. I had all of them. None ever existed in production package. They came to me bulk in a small mail, a small box about the size of a shoebox, each one in a single plastic bag. If someone has one in what appears to be a real printed blister pack, it's a fake. There were never any such thing. As far as the photos are concerned, these are my handwritten numbers. And he's re- referencing the photos that the uh, the neighbor provided him. This made is with fascinating. A, yeah, made with a fine point indelible marker to identify each item with my observations and how they correspond with the written test report. What I believe you have is one, a sample number 20 being a numerical sequence of the CA, meaning condition aged. Half of the samples were put through a heat aging process at 135 degrees Fahrenheit for 48 hours before testing. The second one, sample number six, OA, meaning it was tested without the heat aging process. In other words, right out of the box, no preconditioning. 
Typically, samples 1 through 15 had no preconditioning, and samples 16 through 30 would go through the preconditioning or aging process. Without a doubt, these are the numbers that I applied to the samples for testing. So the one that I got, that number two referenced here, was number six. So on the, if you could see the feet, one would say OA and one would say six. Um, so that was, uh, this particular piece did not go through the, the, the aging uh, process. So it was not put in the oven for 135 degrees Fahrenheit for 48 hours. Right. Um, so this one was used to test the, uh, more than likely to test the rocket firing feature. And it looks like during the testing, the, the tab broke off. So I know that there were two different versions of the J-slot. There was like a, a shorter stem and a longer stem. I think this one was the longer stem, um, version two. So it was very interesting to see this. There's a lot of really good information here that that I'm glad that I got. Like it, it outlines exactly what the, the aging process was and how many of these uh, existed and and he did confirm the Halloween story, like later on in the COA, he goes on to, this is pretty cool. He goes on to say, uh, tell your friend that the Halloween story is true. Cause I'd asked about it. Um, <laughs> I had, uh, initially, let's see, I had literally bags and bags of the various figure, mini figures, hundreds and hundreds. And yes, it was cheaper than buying candy to give out. I had, kid, <laughs> I had kids going nuts. The word got out and I think I had every kid in Fairfield ringing my doorbell. I did this a few years in a row because we had hundreds of the new items every year. Wow. After they came through uh, the lab for testing or just simple inspection purposes, we couldn't sell them. So it was either put them in the dumpster or in a sack and take them home. Well, none of mine ever went into the dumpster. They all found good homes somewhere. Now, if I could just find out who got the rest of the FETs. (laughs) (laughs) That is that's absolutely fascinating. I I had no idea when we were going to be having this discussion um, that you had that type of information and that background behind it. And and I would honestly say too, and this is where um, provenance and and collecting is so important. You know, and keeping a history of it. Um, there there is a, a description within the listing, um, which is fantastic. And I'm actually going to read it in a second because I, I think it's worth reading for this one. But but to have that backstory and to have um, the, the COA that, that was made um, by the person who, who sold, uh, who sold these, you know, these two pieces to his neighbors, uh, really incredible. Oh yeah, absolutely. And um, I know this one was mine because I, I compared the, the accidental characteristics of the, the paint loss on the chest to the picture I took the day I bought it and they match up a hundred percent. There's like a, a, a brown, looks like a brown speck of paint on the right thigh pouch that matches with uh, with the photo that I have of mine. So I'm 100% sure that this is that one that that, uh, that I turned up. I, the only reason I let it go, um, I bought it in, in 2016, almost exactly six years ago to the day. I paid 26000 for it. And the only reason I sold it was because um, my wife and I were buying a house and we used uh, the sale of this item to uh, towards the down payment of the house. But otherwise, it would still be a part of my collection. And I think it has changed hands just one other time since then. So I sold it to someone. I think that person sold it to the owner who I believe is putting in the auction here. So that's the kind of the, 
trace of all the provenance. Okay. And then you said um, originally, um, did you have it graded? I did. I uh, CAS was brand new, and I think it was 2017, wherever celebration was in 2017. Was that uh, Orlando? Yes. Yeah. So I you know, wanted to help them out with a higher-end item just to help with this kind of visibility. So I gave this to them to, to grade up, and um, I don't know why the, the it was ever – given to AFA to, to regrade or maybe they just like the look of the new holder better. I don't know, but um, it eventually made its way over to, to AFA and here it sits in this auction. It's fantastic. Okay. So for this one, I'd like to just read the item description. We're not going to do that for every one of the, uh, the listings that we go over, but I, I think this one's really important. Um, so with the rocket fet, uh, it is an AFA graded and encapsulated three and three quarter inch tall, fully painted engineering pilot with country of origin, Hong Kong and copyright stamps representing the final phase of development for this infamous 1979 Boba Fett prototype action figure. Only 80 to hundred examples of this prototype were shipped to Kenner from Hong Kong for safety te- testing purposes, which resulted in only non-firing examples with sonically welded missiles being released to the public. Approximately 24 to 26 examples of this J-slot variety are known to have survived, with several existing in rather rough condition, having been subjected to a variety of safety testing procedures that included, but were not limited to heating, freezing, and other destructive trials. This is version 2 of the J-slot variety, having been further refined with a longer firing stem which is broken off, likely as a result of the aforementioned testing. This testing is evident by the presence of the typically seen indexing marks placed on the underside of the figure's feet. The J-slot prototype was discovered in the mid-1990s. Prior to that discovery, the J-slot variation was completely unknown to the hobby. AFA graded uh, 50 very good prototype is attractively encased within an AFA archival case. Um, uh, that's really it. It just explains more of the, the case itself and that it comes with a COA. It's encapsulated with it. Uh, extremely rare and historic Star Wars artifact and the quintessential Boba Fett piece. The only other J-slot prototype we have offered, an AFA 85 plus near mint plus example, sold at Hakes for $185,850 in November 2019. Since then, demand and value has steadily continued to rise. Similarly, the equally sought-after but slightly more obtainable L-slot prototype has seen an upward trajectory in our recent auctions, with three different AFA-85 examples selling for $86,000 in March 2018, $112,926 in July 2019, and $165,000 in June 2021. So that's the listing. Pretty cool. I wish you still own this one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I think this, this is going to be one of the most interesting pieces and beyond the fact that it's a rocket firing FET and, and likely the most expensive, you know, the one that will cross over into the six figure range. Um, But I wanted to hear your thoughts on this, Matt. So right now it is, it's a rocket FET. It's a J slot, you know, which they do not turn up as much. Um, it is graded at a 50. 
do you think the grade is going to affect the end price? Yeah, it won't be up there with what the the 85s are getting for sure. Uh, I say for sure. I would be surprised. Um, But there is going to be a significant interest. I I could see it getting, uh, you know, six figures. I mean, if you look at the different hobby, but kind of it holds similar. The the Honus Wagner, a literal half. Someone had half of a Honus Wagner car that was graded to be authentic. Yes. <laughs> I yes. mean, it was like I don't even know if it graded one. I think it was just graded authentic, and it sold for I think a half million bucks. So, um, condition while important, it's not everything to a piece that's as rare as this. I mean, it says you know from the CLA I've got here to the description there. It's you know. Fewer than 30 of these were, uh, are known to exist. So you know, we're talking about something that's rare in numbers and highly desirable. You know, that usually spells high value. And I think it's, it's going to hold true here, just not to the degree that an 85 or, you know, an 80 would, would get. Sure. Um, now the, the 85, sold in November of 2019 and it sold for $185,000. I think this is really interesting because the market from 2019 to now has completely changed. Um, and I mean, everything has just has skyrocketed, especially these bigger ticketed items. And so I now wonder if a 50 will get close to that as a result of the market, you know, more people piling in, people speculating and investing and just um, you know, everything going kind of crazy as it has over the last two or three years. We'll see. My, my guess is this hits somewhere between 125 and 150. Okay. Yeah. My, my guess is around 140. So, but uh, you know, again, it, it could cross 200. So I'm going to cry I, over here in the corner. <laughs> if it hits, uh, hits 200. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, I think the next one is a favorite of yours. Yeah, we talked about this last time. And this, this to me, we were talking earlier in, in kind of the intro where we talk about the investment community coming in and really starting to lift the prices up. I think the fact that this has remained, this piece has kind of remained steady at, you know, around that 10,000 mark. So this is the Star Wars Early Bird Certificate Sorry, yeah. Package. Number 1605 so here. Yeah. So it's it's got a, a value range from ten to 20000 I, I talked about this last time. This to me is an incredibly underrated piece, but it's not three-dimensional. So I don't know if that limits the appeal to the speculators that are out there that are driving prices of more common items up and up. But this, to me, like this is something that needs to be in every collector's collection because this is where it all started. Um, this piece at 85, just, I don't, I'm not sure how many, the nineties exist, but I mean, 85 ticket for this piece to get an 85, it means it's in phenomenal condition. And I, well, I, it's, it's an 85 plus. So that would actually, uh, that would, that would rank it between an 85 and a 90. Um, so, you know, that that's even, it, it's a small designation, but it's even higher than, you know, your standard 85. Yeah. And a piece in this condition does not come on, come along too often. So if I've got, you know, that ten to twenty thousand dollar range to play with, and I'm if I'm looking for an item to to get, that to me has got the biggest 
kind of potential behind it. Just um, it's it it's the delta between where it is now and where it's been historically is a lot smaller than more common 12 backs and things like that. So I think the potential for this item to appreciate over time, um, as more and more people get into the hobby and, and understand exactly what it is and how infrequent items like that in that condition come along, I think that's just going to help it out longer term. So I'm excited to see where this one ends up at. Okay. And just, I know we had discussed it in the, the last, uh, Hake's, uh, auction episode that we did, but um, if you could just explain to people quickly why this is something important historically and and what it actually is. Yeah, sure, no problem. So, Kenner famously got the license about a month before the movie came out. Like Kenner itself thought that you know on down the road it might make for some interesting toys. Uh, I think that there might've been an angle for this star Wars, maybe making it onto TV. And they thought that it might have some continued life other than just that standalone movie. Um, so it was more of, you know, to kind of add to that, they were coming off the heels of $6 million man, the success there. So, um, Kenner was really, you know, embraced the whole licensing play, uh, to, to boys toys, and so took a gamble on Star Wars and it paid off. Now, it takes a good year to tool, you know, to create, to to distribute um, all these toys. And unfor- unfortunately, that timeline prevented Kenner from getting toys out to retailers for Christmas of 1977. So it's kind of a stand a stand in for the actual toys. They sent these early bird certificate packages into stores, which promised you would be the first to get the first four figures as soon as they were available um, in early 1978. So when you were, when you bought this, uh, you know, kids got it for Christmas. Oh, most of them opened it up because they wanted to get those figures they've been dying to get. But then there's also a kind of a backdrop that shows all 12 characters. There was a display stand that kind of was part of that fold out. Um, so you had a, a, you knew exactly what figures were coming and then as you got them, you could add them to this display and, and just have them, you know, showed off in your room for all your friends to see. Uh, it also included, a, uh, like a fan club kit, um, coupon and it's just a really well thought out item. It was ahead of its time. Like everyone thought this was going to be a big gamble because, you know, who sells, a that certificate to, to kids for Christmas, you know, it's like, it's not a, a, a sexy item or something they can immediately play with, but it wound up, uh, creating a lot of waves. I think that the, the, the guy that was responsible for coming up with the, this idea was Ed Schiffman and talking to him. Um, I think that he mentioned that Cuisinart, which was another high demand item back then, uh, used something very similar, um, for their line of home appliances uh, shortly after this, based on you know, the buzz that this was creating at retail. Would you say that um, out, of, out of all the pieces that exist from the Kenner line, if you had to pick one piece that encapsulated all of Star Wars, would you put this one as, as that piece? All of Star Wars, like the toys? The toys, the Kenner toys. I mean, it's up there. It's definitely on the Mount Rushmore of top Kenner 
high profile items, in my opinion. I, I, again, I think this should be in everyone's collection just because it represents kind of that time where everything was about Star Wars and it, it was everywhere. And this represented kind of that fervor around the merchandise that that kids and really adults alike were clamoring for at the time. So yeah, I, I think it's up there. I don't want to, I'd, I'd probably be short-sighted to think that it's number one. I, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of one that's better, but I'm sure, you know, I don't know if I thought about it a little bit more, if something might, might pop in, but it's definitely, you know, top four or five. Okay. Well, and I think it was an 80 plus that was um, offered at the last auction. And I think that pulled in a, a final price of about $8,700. Um, this one right now with a little more than two weeks left to go in the auction um, is at $5,500. Um, the the next bid after that uh, with the buyer's premium is going to put it at 7000 So it, it's nearing, it, it is getting closer to what the last one sold for. I think it will definitely sell for more. Um do you do you have an idea of where you think this will wind up? the The estimate is between ten thousand and twenty thousand dollars. Since this is eighty five plus, I would think it would be you know more towards the twenty thousand. Um, I'm hoping people hear this and bid this one up because um, this is something that it's not going to come come along very often. Something in this condition, it's this important of a piece. If you know, carded Boba Fett's are going for 15,000 and there are, you know, several of those out there in orders of magnitude more than there are 85 pluses of these, mm-hmm. then, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if this thing got up into the kind of the 15, 20 K range. I'm hoping it goes higher than that because I want someone to kind of shine a light on this item because it's, it's important. It, yeah. This is a piece that has really been out of the spotlight. Um, it's, I don't think it's ever really gotten the recognition from the full community um, that it's deserved. And I think if it does cross the $20,000 mark, um, I think you'll see more people clamoring for one and, and trying to add one to their collection. And I think it will become a prestige piece uh, and will be considered you know, a, a piece for every collector to add, like a blue snaggletooth of Vinyl Cape Jawa. So... Um, so if if we were looking at you know historic and historical Star Wars pieces or pieces that encapsulate all of the the Kenner Star Wars toys, um, you could make a claim for the early bird envelope, and I think this next one um, could be a contender as well too. So this is the this is the early bird mail away kit. So this is after you would um, after a person would receive the um, or would purchase the the envelope, they would have a little um, mail away. Uh, a mailway letter inside and uh, they would send that to Kenner. And then within a few months they would receive this kit. So it's a white, very fragile, a very thin um, plastic uh, case that came in, in a white mailer box and it had four figures in it. It had, um, and they were all sealed uh, bagged figures. It was Luke Skywalker, Leia Organa, Chewbacca and RTD2 and then there was a little area where um, uh, a bag of peg stands would come, and then you could um, use those to uh, to put your figures um, into the eventually the um, shoot, what was it called? The action figure display stand. Yep. Okay. 
Yeah, this is this this is definitely on that Mount Rushmore we were talking about. So um these pieces go hand in hand with one another. I think uh you know, if you're doing your display and like these merchandise really well together um in your cabinet. I mean, it's this is something that um I I hope every collector strives to get a good uh, example of both of these items for their collections. And surprisingly, uh, a number of these exist. Um, I don't know what the, the numbers are between the, the certificate certificate and the kit, but I've definitely seen more of the, the kits um, that have survived over the years. Um, I think people like to build their own. Um, it's a little bit, cheaper to do it that way. Maybe you can spread out the cost over a longer period of time, but, um, surprisingly, you're saying like you would buy a box and then buy, you would buy a a box and the tray and the bag figures and the the pegs. And so people piecemeal these together. It's something you can't do with the, 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 the certificate package. Um, you've got to buy that just as it is, but, um, you can put together a, a kit on your own, but here you can, Buy one pre-built here. It looks like AFA 70. Um, I've seen conditions of these. You know, you can get really nice ones. Um, it's it's amazing to me that people kept these. We, we talked about kind of the buildup and the excitement about getting these figures. It's shocking that people kind of kept these and didn't open them up and play with them right away. It's because the kind of that pent-up demand and, and things like that. So, um Shows that you know there were speculators even back then about uh, about these toys and and uh, you know to their credit you know they put a you know that whole Saturday Night Live you know one to uh, open <laughs> one to keep sealed and one just in case kind of a deal uh, so <laughs> yeah people kind of had that mindset I guess even back then in in the late seventies. And two things to note on this one: so this one actually the, some of the mailer boxes. Uh, did not have a uh, an address on them. Um, they were never shipped out. Um, this one does. So this one has a, a person's name on it and the address. Um, and it's also the the Luke Skywalker. Um, many of the Luke Skywalkers that were included in this set had the double telescoping lightsaber. This one does not. Um, and it's actually, I believe it's more desirable and it's a rarer piece because it has, it came with um, the... Uh, the bagged single telescoping Luke. Yeah. Personal preference. I would prefer the, the double telescoping just because I think those are a whole lot cooler than what we wound up with, but absolutely. Um, I'm a history buff. So the earlier, the better, uh, but you know, the, to each his own. Um, I, I'm curious to see where this one ends up too. I, I get geeked on these early production items and, and, uh, you know, here's, I guess it's pretty tough to find here with the single telescoping, uh, irrespective of the condition. So I guess it's got a five to 10,000 estimate. Um, I don't know. I would think it would be kind of towards the 5,000, but, but I guess we'll see. A similar one just sold on eBay for 7,000. Yeah. That sounds so. about right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I guess they get the buyer's premium too, so that might push it over that mark. But um, yeah, we'll see where it ends up. Okay. It's cool. I just uh, was talking to um, someone that worked in the 
engineering department about this, the double telescoping versus single telescoping. And I'd heard a number of reasons why they were canceled, you know, cost or, or whatnot. But, um, he confirmed for me, he was very matter of fact about it. This guy was sharp. His recall was fantastic, but, um, it, it failed the pull test. So they would tie, you know, to pass the pull test, you'd have to have a certain amount of weight being hung off of, of the toy piece. Um, and it had to sustain that weight for a certain amount of time without breaking. And, you know, it was unable to do that. It, it broke rather easily. So that was the official reason why they canceled it. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. We're talking about single versus double telescoping. So I wanted to make sure I mentioned that. Yeah, and absolutely, and they're you know exceptionally fragile. I've heard of pieces that have fallen, you know, where um, someone has a displayed Luke and the Luke falls over, and and that you know that the the, uh, the inner filament completely cracks. So yeah, I can definitely understand that. Um, we're jumping ahead now. the The next item is uh, another really interesting one. Uh, same grade as the early bird kit. Um, it's an AFA seventy, and it's a Luke Skywalker twelve back A carded figure. Uh, unpunched, uh, really nice looking, has a price sticker on the top left. Um, but what makes it so special is it has a white figure stand. So Matt, do you know what a white figure stand is? It is the opposite of a black figure stand. He nailed it. That's it. <laughs> so I guess they had these, uh, uh, the footers that are, I don't know why they're included in the bubbles, but all the, uh, the figures stood on a footer and, the very earliest ones have a white skew footer. And the the prevailing uh, opinion is that those were early salesman samples. And so they hadn't quite yet got the the footers made and had to get these to enhance the salespeople to go out there and pedal the line. Um, and so they just took the what available cardboard they had and made these footers. Uh, it's just kind of a functional way to show what the the end product was going to look like. Um, I have not seen that confirmed anywhere, but that is just the the most popular opinion of what function those served. And we have a uh, a few. Um, so now for the, for the next few releases, yeah. Yeah, hold um, on, real real quick on this one. Yeah. So we were talking about the the salesman sample theory. Now the interesting thing about this one is it's got a venture price tag on it. So if these were in the hands of salespeople, um, I don't know if, the, if, if, it, if that was the case, did this guy maybe just give his over to the, uh, the team of the venture? I don't know, but it's curious. Could they have been test fun. market pieces? You know, we, we've seen that with a few, um, a few former Kenner employees where they, they've, they've owned some pieces that were essentially, uh, you know, test market uh, examples that were that were sold in stores and, and never sold. I mean, that, possibly, but I, with the success of Star Wars and kind of the pent up demand, they didn't really need to do a test on the popularity of the figures. So I, I would, I don't want to rule out anything, but I would think that would be unlikely. Okay, yeah, and from everything I've heard too, it's a salesman sample. But sure. 
Okay, so as we dive through these next few, uh, all the the twelve backs and twenty backs, there are a number of them listed. Um, they have you know the different different backs at times or different sub backs, if you will, like a twelve C versus a twelve A. Um, so we're we're going to go quickly through those and, and just really cover some of the the more um, interesting and, and unique pieces. Um, uh, so we're up to our our first skew footer. Um, which is an Obi-Wan Kenobi 12 back A graded at a 75 with a skew on the footer. Um, so Matt, you, you and I were talking about this earlier and, and, um, and you noted how there, there's been a jump on these skew footers. Yeah, we were just looking at the, the recent eBay sales and then the, the last takes auction sales and what the, they wound up hammering for and definitely some interest out there for sure. We talked about people that are putting together white skew footer runs uh, there's definitely people out there putting skew footer runs together. They're a lot more plentiful than the white footers are, but um, you know these represent the earliest versions of production figures. So, uh, whenever uh, Stephen and Gary and I were interviewing folks for the book, uh, we came across this one guy that had a number of carded figures that were used as QC samples from the twelve back time. Um, the very first production run and half of them had skew footer actually all of them um, that were from the cater factory had skew footers. And then the other QC samples that were from Unitoy, the, the um, universal toy company, they did not have skew footers. So I, I don't want to make a statement that all skew footers came from cater, but I thought that was an interesting thing to note that uh, those came out of that one factory. Uh, from that particular find and there were multiple it's like maybe a dozen figures i think he um had like nine of them i want to say um and then yeah so that trend definitely held for for the two different factories so um thought that was definitely worth mentioning here just to provide a little bit more context so what a skew is is it's an acronym for a stock keeping unit and so each of the individual characters had their own stock keeping unit. So this was the number that was assigned by Kenner to each character. So retailers could discern, um, you know, one character from another in their orders. So they, the SKUs for the characters corresponded to what the SKU number was on the footer. Um, so I have absolutely no idea why they did that. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, <laughs> it just seemed, it seemed like an unnecessary step in the production process since they were like trying to crank these out. They had to wait for someone to print the skew numbers on the footer. That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so anyway, that was discontinued shortly after that initial, uh, print run. So, um, you know, there are, there aren't too, there aren't too uh, many of them out there. As you can imagine, they're all on eight backs. Um, since they were so early in the production run. Um, but anyway, this one's a AFA 75. So uh, looking at eBay comps and, and previous auction comps, I think uh, there was one that was an 80 that sold last time for 3500 3600 after buyer premium. This is a 75, so I think it would probably be in that 2500 to 3500 range, some, somewhere in there. And we have a few of them coming up. So 
there's right after that is the R2D2, uh, which is a 12 back A graded at an 80 with the skew on the footer. Uh, and then a little further down the list, uh, there's a Chewbacca graded at a 75 with the skew on the footer. Um, and I, I think a, an R2 sold as well um, in the last Hakes auction. And it sold for $4,600. So that's kind of the range right now. Um, you and I were joking before there, there was um, there was an R2-D2 uh, with a skew on the footer that sold on eBay recently. And it had a, a, a buy it now price of $13,000. Um, so whether or not that actually happened, uh, it looks like it did. Um, it'll be interesting to see what these sell for. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really a big collector of skew footers. So I haven't followed that market a lot, but you know, again, it's more and more folks are getting into it and diversifying their collections and, and working on different runs. I could see where skews could take on kind of a life of their own. Uh, especially since 12 back A's are becoming more and more popular. Right. And, um, and Hakes has all of these listed in the 2000 to $5,000, uh, estimates. So they'll likely be around that, that range. Um, then we get into the Jawas. Um, so there's right now there's five Jawas that are being offered. Um, four of them are the cloth cape Jawas. Some of them are really interesting. They, there's one that has um, a square bubble with a plastic tray, different variants like that. That one is uh, really desirable. Um, in fact, it has a, a five to $10,000 estimate on it, um, much higher than the other ones that are being offered. Rarely turns up, uh, especially for a 12A back. Um, so that'll be interesting. But then there is uh, one of the pieces that seems to show up in every Hakes auction. It is one of the most desirable pieces to higher-end collectors right now. And uh, Matt, please tell us which one that is. That is the 12-back C AFA-80. <laughs> no, uh, I think you're talking about the uh, <laughs> the vinyl cape, Jawa. Yes, yes. Uh, so that one looks like 12-back uh, A, which most vinyl cape Jawas are in 12-back A's. Um, a couple have shown up on B's. One or two have shown up on C's, but the vast majority uh, show up on A backs. This one is a uh, graded AFA 75. And the first thing I always look for with Final Cape Jawas that are carded is any discoloration in the uh, on the vinyl. Now, it's called a cape. It's more of a robe. I call it, I'm a maverick. I'm calling it the vinyl robe. I'm going to start a trend here. Because in no way is that a cape. Right. No, it's a robe. Sure. Um, but this one is free from all discoloration. Um, quite often you do see uh, a bit of a brown circular shape show up, um, usually towards the bottom. I think the prevailing theory is that those are just oils left over from the hand of the person that put them on the card. I don't know if that's right or not, but um, they usually show up towards the bottom. Um underneath the arm. So where they may have been handled by the person putting on the card. I don't know if that's true or not. That's just kind of a theory out there. Um, but this one subgrades 80, 75 for the bubble, 80 for the card, 75 for the bubble, 85 for the figure. So people like to see those good figure grades specifically on this piece. So, um, 
it's unpunched. And if I'm if I'm going to spend money on one of these, I want to make sure that it's it's not discolored uh, robe and that it is a a high grade on the figure. Um, so this one I could expect to see towards the higher end of the range because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the figure looks nice. The the card and the bubble look really nice too. I think where it received the um, the seventy five for the bubble is at the very bottom. It looks like there's some crinkling. Um, but you're right, and that that's an issue that we have seen in the groups recently. There was there was one issue in in one of our collecting groups um, where someone was selling one, uh, a carded vinyl Cape Jawa graded at an eighty five that um, had been graded a while ago received an 85 and then it started to develop this huge uh dark ring on the cape or the the robe as you call it and um and the person was had made a note of it um and uh the the price went pretty high for it and i think people got caught up in the fact that the label said an 85 but um you know if this thing were to be regraded once you have that that sort of discoloration i think it brings the figure down to something like a 70 or a 75 so Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, this one looks really, really nice. Um, you know, they only seem to be getting more and more popular and, uh, they're usually one of the, the bigger hitters, uh, in, in every Hakes auction. So, um, definitely a desirable piece. And then we round out the, the 12 backs with the, the sand people. Um, and again, you and I were joking before. So, uh, one of the biggest shock for us, I think in the last Hakes auction, was the 12A um, that was graded straight 85s that sold for $7,800. And um, Matt, you said this was a very fair price and um, you were not Totally reasonable. Yeah, definitely not an anomaly, (laughs) not an outlier. Right. Uh, Definitely in line with previous sales for sure. Right. Like like someone had just gone crazy and just decided that they were going all in on on this figure. But um, looking at it later on, and I've learned more about it since then, but – so the the gloves and I, I think the um, the strap on the on the figure and maybe like the like belt or pouch it was a, a light reddish color and supposedly those are the earliest versions of uh, the the Tuscan Raider to be produced. Very hard to find one like that, especially carded and graded, especially straight eighty fives. So I could see where that price, um, why that why that specific one from the last auction pulled in that price. Uh, we have a, a 12A graded at a 75 and a 12B graded at an 85 for this auction. So I don't think they'll hit that $7,000 range, um, you know. But 12 backs are becoming more and more popular, so I could see it, you know, venturing into the two or three thousand dollar range. I mean, we we better check to see if this one's got that light brownish reddish color to it. No, looks looks pretty brown here. Yeah, I, I checked just to make sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a great variation, you know, really tough to find and uh, and pretty cool. So seventy eight hundred dollars is is a crazy price, but at the same time, now it's a, to me it's a little less crazy. Um, I wonder if I went. I wonder if uh, the popularity of the the to me the best part of the book of Boba Fett show was uh, those two Mandalorian episodes aside was the backstory to how he got rescued and uh, I would say backstory, the flashbacks to when he was with the, the sand people like that was intriguing television. I really thought that was well done. Um, I started to care for the, the sand people um, definitely paint the painted them in a different light than, than previous star Wars uh, content that we've gotten. So 
I'm curious if that'll translate into more appreciation for the toys as a result of that movement, uh, that, that show. I think it would have if we had seen more of the um, the Tuscan Raiders in the Book of Boba, if they had continued into the later episodes. Um, but yeah, I think so. I think overall, you know, showing up in The Mandalorian and then showing up in Book of Boba, I think really helped um, to keep them relevant, you know, and, and the Tuscan Raider has always been a, a carded Tuscan Raider has always been a, a, a lesser desirable uh, 12 back figure, you know, it's sort of at the, the bottom of the list. And I, I think, I think this has raised the profile a little bit for, for collectors. So Matt, I know you're going to be bidding on this next one. Uh, this is a loose action figure, Hong Kong, Darth Vader, AFA 90, and it's an engineering pilot. Well, it's strange that an EP would be in a 90 condition, but, um, you know, since they're mainly tested, and I guess there's there's writing on this one to note it to, I guess say that it's a was used as an EP. Does it mention on here what the markings are? Yes, it has the U for unaged, and then the number seven on the other foot. U seven. Okay, interesting. Well, if you're going to get a, an EP, if you're collecting that run, or you just like Darth Vader and want something that's <laughs> pre-production. This is uh, it's a way to go. A good way to go, I guess. Yeah, it, it's actually. I mean, when you think about it too, like right now, there's uh, there's one bid and it's uh, it's up to two thousand dollars already. But if you're looking, you know, Vader pre-production stuff is very expensive. If you're looking to get in as as sort of a starter piece, I mean that that's that's not a bad one to have. Uh, you know, the fact that it has a ninety, I think, makes it attractive to uh, a number of, of bidders and. Um, yeah, and and it comes with a COA too, which is helpful. Yeah, very very. Uh, I would recommend if you're going to buy an EP, make sure that it's uh, you know looked at by Tom or there's good providence to these because they're as you can imagine pretty easy to fake. Um, people have ballpoint pens, people have markers. I would just be skeptical of 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 a piece and, unless it comes from a legitimate source and there's a there's a good provenance behind it sure if you were going to guess right now the estimate is five to ten thousand dollars for this piece for this loose vader engineering pilot um if you were to guess where this is going to wind up is it is it under is it somewhere in that range or is it over the ten thousand dollar the high end i haven't even looked what are the normal what would a normal loose 90 go for in this market now <laughs> um, yeah i mean uh probably a loose 90 would would you know wind up somewhere in the 500 to a thousand dollar range yeah so i would say i don't know five times that somewhere between that i'd say that you know maybe five to six thousand somewhere in there okay yeah makes sense and we really i don't think we really see a lot of vader engineering pilots turn up um so yeah i you know because the a lot of the markings um if they're using a dark ink it might not show up nearly as well as it would on another figure that had lighter colors on the for the feet so um uh, han solo you see a lot of engineering pilots with the markings on his white undershirt 
um, on his shoulders and, and things like that where the, the ink shows up a little bit better. But unfortunately for Vader, since he's all black, those markings aren't nearly as obvious. So I can see yeah. how a number would maybe fly under the radar, not even noticed by anybody. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And uh, you're right, though. Finding it, finding one as a 90 is, is pretty interesting. So it's very cool. Okay, so Matt, believe it or not, that's only the first maybe 25 items uh, within the auction. And I, I don't think you and I realized how deep this auction actually goes and, and how many treasured pieces and amazing pieces are in here. Um, so if, if you wouldn't mind, I, I think we can end uh, this look at the Hakes auction, at this part of the Hakes auction now. And then if you wouldn't mind, you know, coming back uh, maybe tomorrow, we can um, continue the conversation and maybe do a few uh, smaller episodes where we look at uh, the the different areas of the Kenner toys, Empire, Jedi, Force, uh, Power of the Force, and uh, droids and Ewoks and anything else that, that turns up from this auction. Yeah, it sounds like a plan. I think this is like 50% bigger than the last auction. So um, we definitely don't want to... Uh, cut any of these items short and and give these items you know their their due time I guess and and uh, I guess do more episodes but maybe a little bit smaller in duration. Sure, yeah, and and really I think that'll give us a chance to dive deeper into this stuff too. Uh, I really want to thank you for sharing your story about the uh, the 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 rocket firing Boba Fett. Um, I, I think that adds an entirely new element to this piece and, and, you know, probably uh, interest in the piece as well too. So. I hope so. It was, uh, educational and, and fun to listen to. And it's always, I've always enjoyed hearing old stories of, you know, the, the guys in the nineties that were going out and tracking down this stuff and hearing about origin stories from some of the bigger pieces in the hobby. So, um, Hopefully you found my contribution fun and, and informative and hopefully it helps takes out with the, the final bid. <laughs> Not to, of, of I'm, what sure, could I'm been, sure people right? are. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and I, I don't want, I don't want to see what it ends at. So yeah, you're going to have to, uh, just, okay, so, uh, what's that? So not not counting the the rocket firing fat, then we'll we'll put that one aside. Um, of the of the twenty something pieces that we discussed, is there one that you're curious to see where it winds up? Again, that uh, early bird certificate, uh, that, that that sealed envelope. I, uh, I I'm waiting for these things to take off, and and this one is about as good a condition I've seen. I think I've seen one ninety before. Um, but this one, man, this is just, it's an immaculate condition and I, I hope this gets the kind of the respect it deserves in my opinion. Okay. Well, uh, we have, we have about two weeks left until the auction ends and, uh, we've made some of our, our estimates and, and guesses on this. And, um, yeah, I have a feeling that's going to be a really popular one. Um, this auction is just, it's, I know you and I, I had really discussed it, um, you know, a few months ago and, and where we thought, you know, uh, this was going to wind up, you know, with collector's interest. But I, I just I think this is going to be an outstanding, uh, really dense auction of, of amazing pieces. So if you're listening to this, we're going to try to help you sort out uh, which pieces to target, um, which ones are are uh, 
important and and valuable, whether it's you know uh, as monetarily or or just uh, as far as history and uh, collectability is concerned. So uh, this will be a fun one, Matt. So I will see you tomorrow. Absolutely, and let's just hope that uh, we steer clear of any more major. Uh, world-changing events between now and Hakes <laughs> goes we, live here. I'm sure they would we, appreciate it. We have two weeks. Who knows? Uh, but anyway, stay tuned on Star Wars prototypes and production. Have a good one, Matt. You too.